The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on all of the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page in the post and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen at the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and up in president-select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. My name is Austin Gale with Warren Sharp. We're here every single Wednesday to break down three or four games, really get deep into the matchups. We're going to avoid the island games. We have other shows on this feed that go over Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, and Thursday Night Football. Speaking of which, if you listened to the Thursday Night Football preview show with me and Raheem, we absolutely nailed last week's game between the Indianapolis Colts and Denver Broncos, Warren. I, I told people, I don't think there's going to be a touchdown scored in this game. I might sprinkle a little bit on no touchdown scored at like plus 10. I also said take the alternate totals like under 39 and a half, under 33 and a half, and it got all the way down to like under 24 and a half. And I, I made out pretty well on, the, on Thursday night football betting a lot of alternate totals. So definitely listen to the feed for those island games. How you, did you did you have anything on that Thursday night game or how ugly was that for you? I did not have anything side total, and the game was absolutely ugly for me to watch. Um, <laughs> but uh, oddly, it became compelling to see how it ended kind of like the button mm-hmm. in the Truman show, you know, how's it going to end? And I just wanted to keep watching it. And of course, like Twitter nowadays, like if you were watching that game at home, like 12 years ago, before Twitter was around 15 years ago, you probably would have turned it off and, and gone to yes. the gym, gone back to hang out with your family, gone to bed, depending upon where you live. Like one of those three would have been what you would do. Uh, but in this particular instance, because Twitter was around, it kind of made the whole thing more entertaining, you know, check out, see what other people are tweeting about, see the reactions to different things. So, um, it, it, it kind of reached like a, a low point, but then it started getting good because it was so bad. No, 100%. I, I think those are sometimes my favorite 
times on Twitter, right, is when a game is so bad and it's in an island spot, that's Monday night, Thursday night, or Sunday night, that everyone's, you know, kind of trying to make the next best joke. Like, someone, people are roping in, like, Amazon. People are roping in Russell Wilson and all the memes. Like, it was a sensational night for Twitter, maybe not a sensational night for points in that game. And this Thursday, we're not going to preview that game, but, man, we got another ugly one. Washington Commanders go to Chicago. Bears are one-point favorites, and that total is the lowest on the week at 37 and a half. And I don't even know if they'll get there. I might be betting unders again on Thursday Night Football. Who knows? But the games we're going to look at today, I got four for us. There's a lot of good games this week. I I was struggling to pick which ones. But I got Jags at Colts, Cardinals at Seahawks, divisional game in Seattle, Ravens at Giants, which I think is going to be a sneaky good game. That's the biggest spread we're looking at today of the four games we're we're, going to go over. But I like that game. I think that game's going to be a fun one. And then, obviously, have to look at 4 o'clock slate on the Eastern time zone, 1 o'clock slate on the Pacific time zone. It's Buffalo Bills at Kansas City Chiefs, probably the game of the year. Let's start Jags at Colts. Jags coming off back-to-back losses, one where rain was the excuse and and Trevor Lawrence fumbled the ball four times, and this other one at home against arguably the worst team in the NFL, the only team that didn't have a win, the Houston Texans, and and he and he doesn't look and he struggles again, like struggles against that Lovey Smith defense. I think Dougie, you know, Doug, Doug Peterson. I almost called him Dougie Peterson. Doug Peterson got really outcoached by Lovey Smith, and Derek Stingley showed up in the red. So, like this was a really good game by that Texans defense, and where everyone's trying to push Trevor Lawrence into this top ten quarterback tier, he really struggled in that game, and it was good weather. It was like seventy seven degrees with clear skies in Jacksonville. And we just didn't see a good Trevor Lawrence, and for the Colts. We just got done talking about that game. Yeah, they come out with a win in in Denver, but this is one of the, if not the worst offense in the NFL. When you look at any like efficiency metric through five weeks, this is going to be a little bit of a slugfest. Colts are favored by two and a half at home. Total is way down, right at forty one and a half. What's your initial look at this uh, d- this divisional game? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what to make of these teams. I know that the Jacksonville Jaguars were one of the teams that a lot of people were gravitating towards in the offseason. But I I didn't really get on that bandwagon, and I wanted to try to buy into them at some point, seeing how bad the Colts were. But I just have not done that yet. And so in the futures market, that might be the time to do it right now uh, because the price on the Jaguars is substantially better than what it was last week heading into the games last weekend the one concern that i have obviously you know in, in this game is I, I wanted to see what the jacksonville jaguars would do after that eagles game i thought they were the better team against the houston texans i thought they should have been able to win that game my only concern was what's the doug peterson hangover effect from having played the philadelphia eagles in a very meaningful game on the road uh in the weather and you know you always wonder like just takes a lot out of you, especially playing in those conditions sometimes. And then you come back and it's like the lowly Texans, but the Jaguars just can't beat the Texans Uh, for whatever the reason is the Jaguars (laughs) is like, I don't know. I don't know how you struggle with a team like the Texans so badly over the last several years, but that's what the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars have done. They struggle with the Texans a ton. Um, You look at the Indianapolis Colts though. This is a team that's only played three top, 12 defenses the uh kansas city chiefs are like 14th but they played the jaguars and they played the broncos and this offense looked terrible in those two prior games they scored zero points against the jaguars in the first meeting jaguars by the way have the number six ranked defense in efficiency and they scored 12 points last week against the denver broncos and i would expect them to struggle scoring here i don't know this is the time usually that frank reich turns things around 
It's those first five weeks. We called it. We predicted it in the offseason. We went through game by game, told everybody why they would be overrated in these various different spots, and they've been horrendous to start the season. But uh, this usually is the time that they turn it around. But, man, uh, I don't know. This this Jaguars team, they're going up against the worst offense in the NFL here. Uh, I doubt that the Indianapolis Colts are going to be scoring many points, kind of like you alluded to. Um, and it's, it's just going to come down to uh, execution w- w- and, and making those few opportunities that you do get into the red zone count. You, you made a handful of points there that I, I completely agree with. I think the, the biggest of which is, is looking at the futures market here. Right now, the Colts are 2-2-1. Two, two and one. They're 2-3 and three against the spread. The Jaguars are 2-3 and three, uh, outright and 2-3 and three against the spread. And, on, the, and, and in, on FanDuel right now, Colts are the favorite to win the AFC South at plus 155. Titans are second at plus 170. And the Jaguars are third at plus 240. I think if you're, if you're looking to bet Jags, back-to-back losses, one of which in the rain against the Eagles and then this most recent at home against Houston Texans, this is probably the spot to do it. Because if they go in here and beat Indianapolis in Indianapolis, I think that's going to change the futures market in a big way. And they're only two and a half point dogs on the road. In terms of this Jaguars team, I think they're the better team on both sides of the ball, right? I think right now, Doug Peterson against Lovey struggled, but for the most part this season has put Trevor Lawrence in a position to succeed and has maximized a lot of the talent that they have in this receiving core with you know, Marvin Jones, Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones. Like This has been a well-coached offense, and Trevor Lawrence has looked really good in spots this year. I think through week three, before these last two games, he was top three in EPA per play, uh, EPA per dropback. But the problem right now for me and, and why I think Trevor Lawrence is struggling is twofold. One, he's not good under pressure right now. He's 28th in EPA per dropback when pressured, which I know is very volatile, but still, you can't be bottom of the league when pressured and, and putting the ball in harm's way to win consistently and, and score consistently on offense. Two, I still think he has a crazy amount of overconfidence in his receiving core and overconfidence in his ability to in, in these 50-50 situations or when he sees he's got a guy in a one-on-one situation, and that's putting the ball in harm's way a lot as well. Like, I was talking to Steven Ruiz yesterday on the Ringer NFL feed, and he made a point in that, like, on the field alone, just the on-field comparison, there is some Jameis Winston overconfidence in his game right now where he's being a little bit over-aggressive and, and, and beyond his means, specifically beyond his receiver's means, when he sees small one on, you know, small openings or, or slight openings or, or one-on-one situations down the football field. I think that's leading to more picks and more turnovers than you want to see from Trevor Lawrence. But outside of that, like when kept clean and, and when receivers are open, the accuracy, the ball placement, he can make the next level throws. Like He has it. Like I really do think Trevor Lawrence has all that you need to be a top 10 quarterback in this league. It's cleaning up some of that stuff and also... I think getting better weapons, right? I think I know they spent big on Christian Kirk and they're you know continually to try continuing to try to build up this offense, but I still think they're a long ways away from even having like a top half of the league type of weaponry, right? I don't think that the combination of Marvin Jones, Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk, and Zay Jones is even top half of the league when you look at what other people have and having true number one receivers, true number two receivers, etc. So this offense for me. Needs Trevor Lawrence to kind of calm down a little bit and, 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 and trust the offense, not necessarily get overconfident and overly aggressive, and they need to protect him up front because he's been struggling under pressure. Yeah, and there's a simple way to do both of those things, to accomplish both of those things, and that's to pass more on first down. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is averaging 8.7 yards per attempt on first down, 5.9 yards per attempt on every other down. 
but only 33% of his pass attempts have come on first down, which is second least among all wow. quarterbacks in the league. So uh, this is pulled from a Rich Rebar nugget up at Sharp Football Analysis. So they are focusing on the run game and being balanced on first down, not leaning into the pass game enough. And that's when Trevor Lawrence has actually been successful, is passing the ball on first down. So they need to lean into that a little bit more. And I completely agree. That's also the lowest time that you're going to be pressured. When you're dropping back on first down, when the defense doesn't know what's coming, that's the least likely time that they're going to be able to get pressure on you. And lastly, like there is some optimism here. If they were to throw the football a little bit, more on first down against the Indianapolis Colts. One of the things that we know about the Colts is, although they made a couple of tweaks against uh, Patrick Mahomes in the game against the Chiefs, like this is a team that still plays a ton of cover three. And Trevor Lawrence has been pretty good against cover three. He struggled against the Houston Texans and their cover two and their two high defenses, but he has been better against cover three. And even other defenses, when they've been playing the cover two uh, shells against him this year, Trevor Lawrence has big time splits against that. He's bad against cover three. He's good. Single high safety. He's been very good. Two high safeties. He's been very bad. We're probably going to get him going up against more single high safeties in this game. So throw the ball more on first down, Frank Reich. And he should have some success going up against a single high safety, which he didn't see a lot of last week. Those two things should play in the favor of Trevor Lawrence having a little bit of a bounce back game uh, in this spot. But I, I completely agree with you that um, Trevor Lawrence is having still a bunch of highs and lows, in my opinion. And we need to see that stabilize over the course of the next several games. Uh, but if you, you are right also with that futures market, this is the best price on Jags futures in the last three weeks. So you know, this game will turn some things. Obviously, it helped their odds because they lost last week. They didn't look good against a bad team that they should have won. The Colts sneaked out a win, and you saw the Titans sneak out a win. And so now the odds on the Jacksonville Jaguars are at a low over the last three weeks. They could turn things around here. They still don't have a bye anytime soon, right? But they do have the New York Giants uh, coming up. They get a game against Denver Broncos that we just saw the Colts uh, beat in a low-scoring game. They get a game against the Las Vegas Raiders. Then they get a game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Then they go on their bye uh, in Week 11. So next couple of weeks are going to be some of their easier games before they get into playing some of the teams from the AFC West and heading into their bye, and they come out of their bye with the Baltimore Ravens. So tougher stretch down the road, but you know maybe they'll be able to take care of business here. And you're getting some points here to pull out the upset, and that could be something to look at. Yeah, I think I have I have one more point. I kind of wanted to like hammer home on the Colts offense and how I think they're going to be kind of mismatched against what's been a really good Jaguars defense. I think it's exceeded expectations, but I right now I'm leaning Jacksonville Jaguars plus two and a half. I'm leaning a sprinkle on the money line at plus one twenty, and I'm definitely if I'm backing that side, and if you're backing that side for the Jags, I think you should sprinkle you know a, a half unit unit on this 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 futures market if you bet futures and you look at futures midseason. I think that's where the, the the biggest value is. Honestly, if you're backing Jaguars in Week Six, it's probably putting a little money on that plus two forty to win the AFC South. All right, last thing I'll make on this game: the Colts offense we mentioned is bad. I think they're like 32nd in EPA per offensive drive, if not 31st, and the Panthers just like snuck under them. But the biggest reason for that is Matt Ryan is really struggling to be an elevator for this supporting cast, right? I think he's limited in 
age. He's in that washed watch category where like the arm talent isn't there anymore. And he's really trying to like game manages this thing out without an elite veteran receiving core. I think Michael Pittman Jr. is fantastic, but Alec Pierce is still a rookie. And you know, other players on this team are very young. Jelani Woods. The offensive line, though, is the biggest concern. Matt Pryor has been an absolute turnstile at left tackle. He's been benched and brought back in. There's been injuries to Braden Smith that have forced him to play. Like It has been really tough for Matt Pryor. He ranks second to last among all offensive tackles and pressure rate allowed when you remove play action, screens, and uh, RPOs, which honestly, when you look at that stat from PFF, tries to isolate in like standard dropback situations. When is he asked to standard dropback, you know, on standard dropbacks, pass protect, and how often is he allowing pressure? More than 10% of the time. That's really, really hard to win with. And Braden Smith has not been a, a banner piece at right tackle either, and he's also been hurt. And you look at the offensive line in the run game, the Colts, even when Jonathan Taylor was healthy, I know he missed us last week's game, and, and Taylor Hines also left the game early uh, with a concussion. They went 31st in EPA per rush through five weeks, though. 32nd or, or 28th in yards before first contact per attempt. This offensive line is not getting pushed, and they're going against a Jacksonville Jaguars defense that I think is going to eat them alive. The Jags rank 11th in success rate against run and 4th in yards per carry per allowed. And, and their defense, like you said, is top 6 in efficiency. This is going to be... A big mismatch on that side of the ball. I think the Colts offense is going to continue to struggle. Matt Ryan's going to continue to see sack after sack, probably fumble the football in this game. And that's a big credit to what this defensive line can do. Josh Allen's top five in pressure rate when blitzes and stunts are removed. He's tearing people apart week in and week out. I think shout-outs due for Shaq Griffin, the cornerback. Andre Sisco, young safety for them that's playing well this year, and Tyson Campbell opposite of Shaq Griffin. It's also a very healthy Jacksonville Jaguars team offensively and defensively. I think on the Colts side, Naheem Hines is questionable. Jonathan Taylor is questionable. Still early in the week. We'll see if they play. But, man, I really do like the Jags in this spot on the road in a dome. Hopefully the rain is not an excuse again. Obviously the rain it won't for Trevor Lawrence, but I like the Jags plus two and a half. I'm probably sprinkling on the money line and I'm looking at that futures market as well. The Indianapolis Colts have played the uh, 10th toughest schedule of opposing run defenses. And it's not going to get any easier against the Jags. Their run defense schedule though for the Indianapolis Colts will continue against two top 10 run defenses over the next couple of weeks, the Titans and the Washington Commanders before the schedule starts to lighten up a little bit. Uh, and for the Jacksonville Jaguars, this run defense has looked better than what it actually is, given the fact that they have played the third easiest schedule of opposing run offenses to start the season. Um, so you do have that going for you. If you like the John, if you've drafted Jonathan Taylor and he's been terrible for you, I don't expect them to improve and have a great stretch over the next couple of weeks, but. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Still probably not worth the value that you spent on him to draft him, but uh, he should be facing some easier defenses to run on down the stretch. Will be a fun game in the division AFC South, but next we go to another divisional game. It's the Arizona Cardinals going to Seattle to take on the fighting Geno Smiths, which I, I, I maybe is hyperbole, but honestly... Geno Smith has been everything for this Seattle Seahawks team. They obviously just lost to the New Orleans Saints in what was a barn burner, right? I think there was a touchdown that was called back to it, a holding. Like, I think there were a lot of reasons why this Seattle Seahawks team could have won that game. The reason they lost, though, is this defense is horrible. It's 32nd yards per play allowed, 32nd EP per play allowed. They can't create pressure. They can't get any, you know, like Tariq Woolen has like exceeded expectations as a rookie. He's playing really well. I even like really, I really like Shelby Harris, Uchenna and Wosu, but there is not enough talent, like flat out, not enough talent, especially with Jamal Adams out for the season on the Seahawks defense to go toe to toe with anybody. I think it's going to be a doormat defense all season long. It's going to be the reason why Geno Smith has to literally play 
otherworldly for this Seahawks team to win football games. That's hard to do. I, I think they're one of the lowest ranked team in, in market consensus power rankings for that reason. Geno Smith's been great. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett both look really good in this game against the New Orleans Saints and look good this season. But the defense, man, has been so bad, like unwinnable bad. And I think that's going to constantly cast the Seahawks as like these cardiac killers who have to win in shootouts with Geno Smith under center. He's lived up to the billing, if not exceeded that billing. But man, it's been tough sledding. As for the Cardinals, this is where I want to start with you, Warren, because I need your help. I need you to make sense of Cliff Kingsbury to me. I don't understand. I don't understand the Cardinals' early down offense. I don't understand their first half offense. It's the worst team in the NFL in point differential. They're 30th in EPA per play in the first half this year. They're 26th in yards per play on early downs. They, they can't create explosive plays specifically on first down. They're, they have the second lowest explosive play rate on first downs this year. And the second lowest conversion rate, just 14.2%. Uh, when they moving the chains on first down, which you know that's all about. We've talked about it on the show before. Avoiding third downs, avoiding third and longs, and trying to really move your offense. I think it was um, Josh Hermsmeyer who sent out a tweet. Was a screenshot from you know Bill Walsh's book that talked so much about trying to get first downs on first down, trying to move the chains on first and second down. This Cardinals offense isn't doing it, and it's never done it. Makes sense of Click Kingsbury. What is going wrong in Arizona? He's just not good. He, his, his <laughs> offense is just not good. That's the only thing I can tell you. Um, and it's pretty evident here. And to me, the number that stands out to me is Kyler Murray second half rushing attempts. He's close to 20 attempts on the season running the ball in the second half. He's only nine attempts in the first half of games and even lower in the first quarter. And nothing stood out to me more. I was on the Eagles uh, minus three in the first half last week, got in early before everybody kept talking about it, got up to three and a half. Fortunately, everybody who got on that, what felt dirty, gross to be on that super square play, but ended up cashing for everyone, whether you laid three or three and a half. Um, it was, it was evident. If you watch that game, this should have been the one thing that stood out to you. And that was when Kyler isn't creating for this offense off script, this offense isn't doing anything. And the script for Cliff Kingsbury has generated zero points for this team over the course of the entire season. Cliff Kingsbury calling plays for Kyler to drop back and execute what Cliff wants him to do and hand the ball off to the backs stinks. The offense is stagnant and it's terrible when that's the strategy. When it's like, Kyler is down on the scoreboard and a play comes into him and he then says, this isn't the right play. Let me make something. Let me create something. Let me use my legs. And he's running down the field or he's buying more time in the pocket. That is when this offense ends up taking off. That is when this team, I mean, they scored 73 points in the second half when basically Cliff Kingsbury is watching Kyler Murray run around on the field from the sideline. And in the first half, they've scored only 26 points in total this season. Uh, to me, that's what this boils down to is that, this offense is about Kyler. And the more that Cliff, I don't want him to do this because I bet their win total under this year. And I'm happy that they're struggling. And <laughs> I, it's perfectly explainable to me. The, the, the fact of the matter is anytime that Kyler ends up tweaking something, usually it's a lower body injury, but he every single year ends up having something go wrong with him because he does move around so much, the team falls off. The team loses games to end the season, and it's because Kyler is getting injured and he can no longer, he's still out on the field. Like you look at the at his game log, 
He's not missing games, but he's playing injured. And when he's playing injured, he's not as mobile. And when he's not as mobile, this offense isn't the same. And so to me, that's what is happening here in the first quarter of games. They are not leaning into his mobility and his creativeness offensively. That's Kyler's, not Cliff's, obviously. And that is why the offense is stagnant. As For as long as Kyler is healthy, which usually, as I said, he will get hurt. He'll pick up a nick because, uh, or, or a bruise or an injury or something, and he won't be quite as mobile. And that's when the team is going to lose games down the stretch, as they always have tended to do. But when he is still healthy and you cannot win with the way that Cliff is calling in plays, Cliff needs to lean into Kyler, lean into everything that Kyler can do with his legs out the gates in the first quarter of games and say, go make us offense because I can't do it myself. And that's what I think that's the biggest thing to me. That's the thing that jumps off the page the most. I I, I do think that using Kyler as a runner more in the first halves is, is super important because you see like how much success that he can have on the ground running the football. He's a dynamic runner, one of the more dynamic rushing quarterbacks in the NFL. I think the opening game scripts and how they're calling plays early in games, early in the downs has all been subpar. I, I think another stat that I think is really evident of that is just the air yards on first down, right? Like, dude, they do not throw the football down the field on first and second down. They run a lot of screens. They run a lot of quick game. They keep things near the line of scrimmage. As good as Kyler's legs are, he's also a really talented passer, right? He's one of the better arms in the NFL. He can push the ball downfield, and you want to make excuses. The Arizona Cardinals want to make excuses that, oh, they don't have the receivers. DeAndre Hopkins is still suspended. He's supposed to come back next week. Man, you know how many teams in the NFL have bat worse receivers than the Arizona Cardinals? The New York Giants, Green Bay Packers. Like, there are other teams that are finding ways to get the ball downfield with worse receivers. And you just trade a first-round pick for Marquise Brown, who should be elevating this passing game, getting stuff down the football field. So I don't want to make excuses for this offense. Kyler Murray is too good, and you just trade a first-round pick for Marquise Brown. The offensive line isn't absolutely heinous. You should be having more efficient offense in early on early downs and in the first halves of games. The opening game script just has to be better. But I will say this, the Arizona Cardinals are two and a half point favorites in Seattle. I think again, because of this defense, it's a massive get right game for Cliff and Kyler. You could come out of this game with, you know, ESPN first take talking about how they finally figured it out and, and they, you know, they're, they're finally bouncing back and the Arizona Cardinals look like a juggernaut. They're three and three on the season, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Cause like this defense is going to make, I think Cliff and Kyler have a lot easier day than they've had in previous weeks. I think that's enough to, with Kyler and the talent that they do have offensively, even as badly as Cliff has called games so far this year, I think the Seahawks defense is just such a get-right opportunity for Cliff and Arizona. Do you see that big of a mismatch for them, or do you think it's still going to be tough sledding? No, this defense is terrible. This defense yeah. is really bad, and they should be able to get right. It is interesting. Over the last three years since uh, Cliff has come to town and, and Kyler has been his quarterback, they've played three times in Seattle, and all three of those games have actually gone under the total. Um, they've been lower scoring games there. When they play in the Dome in Arizona, that's when we're seeing more of the higher scoring games where both teams are posting 30-point totals uh, on their own. But when they go to Seattle, it hasn't been quite as strong. Now, Seattle, obviously their defense hasn't been as bad as it is this year. Uh, so maybe that changes things a little bit here. Uh, but that's been one trend. But no, this this defense for the Seattle Seahawks is legitimately bad. And the Arizona Cardinals should have success here. But it does come down to strategy on offense and how they're trying to call plays. And, you know, some of it actually 
could be, you know, what does Seattle do here with their own offense? Because yeah. this Seattle Seahawks rushing attack should be able to have a little bit of success here. Um, it's it's the Arizona Cardinals have played a bottom 10 schedule of run offenses to date. The first team that they played that actually had a you know top 10, 15 run offense was the Philadelphia Eagles just last week. And the Seattle Seahawks, I know they lost Rashard Penny, but they do have a good core behind him as well. They should have some success running the football here to keep Kyler off the field, to keep him from breaking down that defense. Um, but 100%, I totally feel like if, if they lean in more to letting Kyler create offensively, buy time in the pocket, get the ball to the open receiver, or use his legs to scramble, I think this, this, uh, Arizona Cardinals defense, sorry, the Seattle Seahawks defense is really going to be overmatched here in this game. I, I think that it's a get right game for Cliff. It's a get right game or get right opportunity for Cliff. Get right opportunity for Kyler Murray in this offense to like put up points, specifically in the first half. So like come out, come out and show up, you know. And I think for Seattle, I, I you bring up a great point. Rashad Penny out for the season. Go Aztecs, by the way. Guy can't freaking guy can't stay healthy, but he's one of the best Aztec legends I've ever covered. I remember when he was coming out. That was right when you know Donnell Pumphrey, the guy who broke the NCAA rushing yards record. Everyone's you know talking about him, and I was like, man, the guy behind him is better. And that was Rashad Penny. This guy's good, man. If he could just stay healthy. Uh, I'm sorry to bring up my San Diego State fandom. But still, the guy that's replacing Rashad Penny's also good. I was high on Kenneth Walker, the rookie out of Michigan State. He is uh, a thumper, man. I think he's got better speed than, you know, than, than people think. And he also can break a lot of tackles. I don't think he's that dissimilar to what they want Rashad Penny to do. I think it's going to take time. I don't think he's going to be as good as Penny right out of the gate. But I still think he can have success in this offense. The offensive line is run blocking well up front. And Geno Smith is creating a ton of of offense under center. Like I said, like the offense ranks third in EPA per drive. And Geno Smith is fourth in EPA per dropback through week five. Like he is a top five quarterback. This is a top five offense through five weeks. And it's not with purely gimmicky stuff, right? I know it's a relatively like play action heavy, but he is making a lot of high end throws down the field. Go and watch the Saints game. I know they lost, but like you go back and watch the Saints game. Multiple downfield shots where you're like, man, this is this guy is dealing. I think he's getting better every single week, which I don't think this person has gotten enough credit for Geno Smith and how much success he's having. And, and honestly, how much success the Seattle Seahawks are having. I know they're just two and three, but still not the doormat of the league offensively, at least. Is Pete Carroll, man, because Pete Carroll took a lot of heat for not letting Russ cook and, and and wanting to run the ball and like multiple offensive coordinators. And, you know, a lot of people I think gave him flack for the offense being inefficient and not you know, maximizing Russell Wilson. They move on from Russell Wilson. They get two first round picks, two second round picks. They get Noah Fant, Shelby Harris, all these different guys. And this offense looks really good. And Shane Waldron has this, has Geno Smith cooking. And that, that in my opinion is, uh, is an underrated storyline of this. Cause I think everyone rightfully flocks to Geno Smith, who's been a castaway in this league after being a second-round pick by the New York Jets a few years ago, only had two years starting with them before essentially was cast as a backup and probably never going to get another opportunity like this. Now he has it, and he's seizing that, and he's playing really well. But man, Shane Waldron, the offense coordinator, Pete Carroll, what they've done to like instill confidence in Geno Smith and, and put him in this situation, and, and I think is really impressive. I think this the Seahawks team should be super stoked that this offense is, is, is having the success that they are. Saying both of those things, saying that this is a get-right game for Cliff and Kyler Murray, saying that you know Geno Smith is playing well and this offense is good, I want to look at the total 
and I, I wanna I wanna look at the over, but man, this is a high total. It's the second highest total in week six at 51 and a half. I think the only game that has a higher total is the Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs at 53 and a half, a game we'll get to later. Are you looking at the total at all? Do you think there was market on this or, or value on this early week? Is there any any value left? I, I probably won't touch the spread. I like Seattle if I'm liking the spread, but honestly, I think it's gonna be a close game. For the total, do you think there's any value at 51 and a half? I have not touched the total. My model does not show value of 51 and a half. It is an interesting game, though. We do have two teams that uh, really do like to run the football at some of the highest rates in the NFL. It doesn't mean nowadays that that's going to induce an under, but these teams do like to run the football. I will admit, though, with the Seattle Seahawks and that passing attack, to answer a point that you made earlier, they rank number three in the NFL, but they've played the fourth toughest schedule of opposing pass defenses. The Arizona Cardinals pass defense is actually going to be the worst pass defense. They rank fifth worst in the NFL. The worst one that Geno Smith has played so far this season. The last time he played a pass defense that even ranked below 17th was the Detroit Lions. He's only played one pass defense that really clearly ranked below average. That was the Detroit Lions. He put up 48 points in that game uh, and had a really nice game. Some of the passes, some of the throws that you made are, are obviously incredible, as you indicated, whether it was that one where he's rolling to the left and 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 twerked his hips and threw it down the sideline or the one where he hit uh, Tyler Lockett deep in perfect stride. I mean, just so many like great passes that you can call out and recall in your brain uh, last week. He's been really... Tremendous. He's been one of the brightest storylines, in my opinion, so far this season. Um, so from a value perspective, I don't see it. If you want to try to have fun and bank on Gino, you know, and 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 tearing up a bad pass defense of the Arizona Cardinals and playing a game at home here. Um, this is the first home game since they played the Atlanta Falcons. This team has played on the road in three of their last four games, and they're going to go back on the road against the LA Chargers next week. So this is obviously a game, a, a big game. It's an important game for them to win at home, to try to get some momentum going after they probably felt like they were in a good position at some points during that game last week against the Seahawks, uh, against the Saints, and then they ended up dropping it late. This is a spot that they need, and they should have circled uh, at home one of their few home games they've played this year. Uh, to try to make something happen. It's going to be a fun game. I'm glad you decided to choose this one. I, I think I'm going to ultimately steer away from the line. I, I, I think that I think that this could be a game that Arizona wins. And I, I a lot of me wants to bet on Gino. A lot of me wants to bet on the Seahawks, especially at home, especially since they're getting two and a half. But there's more of me that leans towards Arizona getting right against this defense. And as for the total at 51 and a half, I don't see, I, I agree with your model anecdotally that I don't see a ton of value at 51 and a half. But I'm probably as the week gets closer, like say like Saturday, Sunday morning, I'm going to look at some player props. I might look at some Kenneth Walker overs. I might look at some Chase Edmonds overs. I might look at a handful of things to get some money on this game because I think it's going to be a fun one to watch. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. 
There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Speaking of fun ones to watch, people don't, if you don't think this game's going to be good, I think you're crazy. Baltimore Ravens going to East Rutherford to take on the four and one New York football giants. I'm going to start here, Warren. These New York giants got that dog in them. I'm going to say it. They have it. Brian Dayball has got this team playing way above their means. I think the best way to sum it up is this is a bad football team and they are winning games. That is coaching. That is process. That is Dayball. That is Wink Martindale. That is such a shift in how the Giants have been structured for so long, right? Like this past year under Joe Judge, the Giants were the 32nd ranked offense in EPA per drive. And I know they had some injuries at quarterback and, and they've added some players this year, but like this was the worst offense in the NFL last year. And now they're middle of the pack with arguably the same level of talent. Sterling Shepard has been hurt. Kenny Galladay has been benched. Evan Neal at right tackle has been one of the worst right tackles in the NFL. Like Daniel Jones is still Daniel Jones, but they're still finding ways to be middle of the pack in efficiency on offense, middle of the pack in efficiency on defense with what I think is a very talent bereft roster. Like they don't, this is might be the worst offensive line wide receiver combination in the NFL. This past week without Sterling Shepard, they were starting David Sills, Richie James, and, and, and Kenneth Galladay mixed in there. Like this, this was a really tough receiving core. Like the tight end position is no Evan Ingram. They, they are they are starting Daniel Bellinger at tight end, a San Diego State legend, but still an unproven guy. Like Saquon Barkley has been phenomenal. And I know he's like the favorite now at minus 200 to win comeback player of the year. And like he's having a ton of success, but like still. This offense should not be having the success it is. They should not be winning the games that they're winning. And that I think just has me really excited to like back the Giants as home dogs this week. Five-point dogs at home for the, against the Baltimore Ravens, a very good Baltimore Ravens team, a team that I think is top five in my power rankings right now. But man, this Giants team is almost too fun to watch, too gritty, who's obviously coming off a win in London. It's eight-point dogs against the Green Bay Packers. They won that game 27-22. I, I don't know, man. I just do not want to lay the points with Baltimore this week because I think this Giants team has it. Well, look... You know, I'm I'm already smiling because Mike knows this, our producer. Uh, I've I've got a close affinity, and 
Brian Dayball, the job he's done here has been nothing short of miraculous. This is one of the best coaching jobs that we have seen in recent memory. To take this roster, to take this roster and do what he's done with it has been nothing short of amazing. Two years ago, Brian Dayball wins Offensive Assistant Coach of the Year, or maybe it was just General Assistant Coach of the Year with what he did with the Buffalo Bills. And that was well-deserving. And frankly, he should have had the coaching job for the LA Chargers the year before this one, when they ended up hiring Brandon Staley and did not hire him and he did not get a job that coaching cycle. He should have been out there. And I can't imagine what that team would have looked like with Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka calling the offense here, as opposed to a defensive-minded head coach whose defense still stinks and an offensive coach in Joe Lombardi calling the shots for a quarterback like Justin Herbert. It would have been night and day different what the LA Chargers would have done. And now we see the trajectory that they're on despite having the skeleton key that unlocks everything, which is a freaking stud quarterback on a cost-controlled rookie deal. They still can't get things accomplished out there. And and look at what Brian Dable is doing. Now, let's not pretend that this is a legitimate team that is going to make a deep run here. They believe it. From the outside, we have to be realistic about the talent that they're working with and the miracles that they're making. But I talked about it all off season. I wrote about it in my book. The more I spent a lot of time digging into what the Giants had been doing previously under the prior regime. They appeared to have the strategy, though I don't know from inside the building, but my outside opinion with this team last year is they were trying to set up third and manageable. They were trying to set up third and short type situations. They were trying to... Uh, get to third down so that they could then get to four, to to first down in a short yardage to go situation. That's what they were hoping to set up, as opposed to what this team currently is doing, which is what we know wins games in the NFL, and that is bypassing third downs as frequently as you possibly can. And if you look at this roster and you say, "Who the fuck are the wide receivers?" You look at this <laughs> roster and you say, "Who is Daniel Jones to be?" efficient whatsoever. And then you look at the fact that this team ranks on early downs in the first three quarters, number nine in EPA per play and number 10 in conversion rate of first downs on early downs. The ability to take a first or second down and convert that into another first down as opposed to getting into third down, they rank number 10 in that metric. It's 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 a beauty to watch. It's something that I was anticipating that they would be look a lot better just because of coaching. The players on the roster are problematic and the roster can't be improved much because of the hell that it was left in by their prior general manager. It's going to take years of undoing what the guy did. It's kind of like you you got a construction project. It's it takes like Two years, we're going to rebuild and repave this road. We're going to widen the lanes here. It's going to be a big improvement. For a little while, you're going to have to drive on this like one-lane road off to the side here. But we're building this new road, and you're going to be able to drive on it. And then Dave Gettleman takes that new road, and he puts the worst quality asphalt down, and there's bumps all over it. So you get onto this thing finally. like He's like, okay, we're in year three of this rebuild. And you get on this shitty road, and it's like, this road freaking stinks. Okay, well, now you got to 
dig the whole thing up again and you got to start from scratch. You got to rebuild this road. You got to go back on this side road for another couple of years until you can get better pieces. I trust the GM. I trust Brian Dable. I trust the end goal of where this team is headed. They're doing the best that they can with what they've got right now. I didn't anticipate that they would be 4-1 and at this point, but I'm certainly happy that they are. And it's all about the process and the things that they are emphasizing with this team. Now, there's a lot of coach speak and buy-in and, and belief that he's getting out of the players too, which I think was a question about Brian Dayball before he got a coaching gig. It was like, couldn't this guy get the team to do this? Can this guy be the type of guy that's going to rally everybody around him? Well, he's obviously proved that and and miles more, right, with what he's been able to get this team to do. Uh, and that's a, a talent-bereft roster. I can't wait to see what this team can do in a few years. But um, until then, they're playing well above their heads. And this is a very difficult Baltimore Ravens squad that they're going up against. A balanced Baltimore Ravens squad. Obviously, they showed that on Sunday night against the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. The one thing that I will say here is that whole element of Wink knowing this offense inside and out and knowing how to what Lamar likes and doesn't like from his years coaching against Lamar in practice when he was with the Baltimore Ravens, you know, that should help. Now, Lamar has been great against the blitz and we know Wink likes to blitz. So that's the other thing. This is going to be a fun chess match to see what Wink decides to do defensively and how Lamar responds to that. I swear I'm going to get to the Baltimore Ravens. I want to talk Lamar Jackson. I think he's been phenomenal this year. I want to talk how, you know, Justin Tucker, if we want to. But I'm going to stick on the Giants just a little bit longer because I want to bring up Wink Martindale in a Wink Martindale revenge game that I think people should be buying tickets to go see. This is going to be sick. This game is going to be great. The other piece of this, I think Brian Dable, you mentioned that. I was in New York the for the Monday night football game against the Dallas Cowboys. The only game they've lost. Maybe I'm the curse of Jersey. But I was there that week after and talking to Dayball, talking to Wink Martindale, I was talking to Dexter Lawrence, some of the other players in that locker room. So much of the conversation is about process. So much of the conversation is about showing up, right? And I think when you bring up that analogy of like a construction, you know, trying to like rebuild roads, just because you're rebuilding roads and you're digging up asphalt that the previous regime has put in there doesn't mean you can't show up to practice on time. Doesn't mean you can't show up to work on time, right? And like show up happy and show up encouraged and show up with accountability and, and all those things. I think that's exactly what Dayball is instilling into this team, right? Every After every single game nearly, he's like, I don't care if we win or lose. I don't care about the results. We just need to commit to this process because this is how we're going to turn this team around. And that is how this team is turning around. It's how... They didn't even have Kenny Galladay in this game. No Kenny Galladay, no Sterling Shepard. It was a combination of Marcus Johnson. So they didn't have Wandell Robinson or Kadarius Tony. Both were hurt in this game as well. It was Wandell Rob or uh, it was um, Marcus Johnson, Daniel Bellinger at tight end, Richie James Jr., Darius Slayton, who's been a castaway in this team, and then obviously David Sills. And we want to bring up excuses for Aaron Rodgers in this Packers offense, bro. This Giants team has a practice squad of receiving talent and just went to London and beat the Green Bay Packers as eight-point dogs. That is trusting the freaking process. And real quickly on Wink Martindale, you know, you bring up that like he likes to blitz and, and Lamar Jackson is good against the blitz. I think he's been a lot more multiple this year comparatively and has been, you know, when you look when you, when I was talking to him about preparing for Justin Fields that week after the Dallas Cowboys, he's like, when you have a rushing quarterback, you don't blitz as much. You know, you can't you can't do that. You can't you have to you know, try different things to make sure that you're not you know, giving up your edges and, and letting him get out to the pocket and those different types of things. I think he's going to be multiple against Lamar Jackson. I think he, that knowledge of Lamar Jackson in this offense is really going to help a Giants defense that still going into this game ranks 11th in yards per play allowed and 9th in total points allowed. Like they've been 
better than what you know, uh, you know, the talent would tell you on that side of the ball. It's a very young football team on that side. Even Xavier McKinney and Julian Love, who are like essentially the captains on that defense, are still very young players. Dexter Lawrence is probably the best talent on this team defensively, arguably the best nose tackle in the NFL. But outside of that, it's still a lot of young, developing players on uh, every level of the football field. I love what Wink Martindale is doing with that group, that young group that hasn't had Leonard Williams for a lot of this, you know, for a lot, at least the last few games due to injury. They can get him back. If they can get healthy there. I, I really do think that the New York Giants at plus five at home are the spot I want to side. I want to be backing the bit. I want to be backing big, big blue. I want to be backing the G-men in this game, but let's shift gears to the Baltimore Ravens and why they're five point favorites, right? Why they're a top five team in my power rankings, why a lot of people are buying them to win the AFC North. What has been your opinion of this Lamar Jackson led offense that has been electric when Jackson's been electric, but struggled outside of that. And then defensively, do you think that they, they can slow down what, you know, what Dayball and, and Jones are cooking? Yeah, they should be able to slow down. If, if they can't slow it down, then they've got a, they've got, you know, worse problems, but that's to be determined. Um, offensively, I think that, this Lamar Jackson squad is putting so much on his shoulders to go and create the majority of the offense. Although I will say I was really impressed by J.K. Dobbins last week and how healthy he looked uh, in, in his use thus far this season. And of course, they were sort of cycling in Ronnie Stanley, not trying to overwork him. They've got the big long view for Ronnie Stanley. And I think that that is smart as well. And every single week, we should expect to see a little bit more Ronnie Stanley in there. Overall, I thought that, or I think that they put a lot on Lamar. And then by the third, fourth quarter, it just is a lot of fatigue. They, there needs to be more opportunities for him to take mental reps off, whether it's a handoff that's actually going to put you in a plus EV situation, not set up second and long or third and long, whether it's a simple dump off pass play that has massive yak potential. There are enough times that quarterbacks like Lamar or Patrick Mahomes, these types of quarterbacks are going to be required and asked and demanded to get this first down, pick us up something, you know, put up points on the scoreboard for us, do something magical that only you guys are able to do. But you can't ask the guy to do that every single snap of the game, which is what Lamar is being asked to do far too often in this offense, as opposed to what Andy Reid asks of Patrick Mahomes. And so there just needs to be a little bit more that's easier for Lamar in this offense. Um, look, I was impressed by the job that they did last week against uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, who have a very good defense, and they were playing without Rashard Bateman, their number one wide receiver. That was impressive. It almost sets up for this Giants team to be in a similar position like they were last week defensively, where they might get down in the first half. And there's a very good chance that they probably do get down in the first half because the Packers are a very good first quarter team. The Ravens are a very good first quarter team. But then just like the Packers tend to trail off, especially in the third quarter, so do the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens offense is trailing off a lot in that third quarter as well. And that could give the Giants a chance to get back into the game, just like what happened last week. And because they just experienced it, I think that that bodes really well for them in this spot as well. I, I'm worried. I think my biggest worry with the Baltimore Ravens is, is Greg Roman and, and his inability to kind of develop a prospering standard drop back passing game for Lamar Jackson and like this receiving core, right? Rashad Bateman didn't play last week. I think he could come back. 
healthy in week six, but you know it's still just Wednesday here on the West Coast. We don't have injury reports for the Baltimore Ravens just yet. We don't really know if Bateman's going to play. And if he doesn't, this combination of Devin Duvernay, Demarcus, Robin, Demarcus Robinson at receiver just hasn't been all that good. Mark Andrews has been an animal for this team, but I think it's just so much, so much polarization or so much isolation of talent on offense where it has to be Lamar Jackson, it has to be the run game, it has to be Mark Andrews for this thing to flow. I think Wink Martindale knows that, and I think he's going to go into this in a revenge game with a little extra swagger and try to you know, try and really slow down a Baltimore Ravens offense that, yes, has the biggest cheat code in the league in Lamar Jackson, but there's some other weaknesses there as well. And defensively, 25th in success rate against the pass, 26th in pressure rate. Odafe always the only guy creating consistent pressure on the defensive line. They just recently signed Jason Pierre-Paul to try and create more pressure off the edge, but he hasn't helped just yet. And against the run, they're 31st in defensive success rate. Like, they are not stopping the run either. The trenches have not been a, a banner product for the Baltimore Ravens. And I think that Saquon Barkley... Brian Dayball, the Giants, could be licking their chops at that mismatch as well. I'm not. I'm going to sprinkle probably a half unit on the money line for the Giants at home, and I'm going to take them at plus five. I, I think this is going to be a game to watch. Time to close out the show with Buffalo Bills at Kansas City Chiefs. I did save the best for last. That's 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 just good podcasting. I know Wargon, our producer, loves that. Buffalo Bills at Kansas City Chiefs right at the tail end here. This line, I have a ticket at Chiefs plus three at home in Roaring Arrowhead Stadium. It's now down to plus two and a half. I'm not saying I moved the market. I only bet a couple dollars on it, but I do like the Kansas City Chiefs at plus three. It's now down to plus two and a half. The total is the highest of the week at 53 and a half. I don't have a laundry list of of notes here, Warren Sharp. Josh Allen is 1A. Pat Holmes, Pat Mahomes is 1B. These are the two best quarterbacks in the NFL going toe-to-toe. I think where the edges are are on defense. Defensively, the Buffalo Bills are number two behind D'Amico Ryans and the San Francisco 49ers. Pretty much any defensive metric you look at. And for the Kansas City Chiefs, it's still a very young, scrappy defense, right? They're relying on young linebackers and Nick Bolton and Willie Gay to get things done. They're relying on a young secondary. They have a rookie out there, Jalen Watson, who has struggled deep down the football field. George Karloftis might be their best pass rusher on the edge, and he too, still a rookie. So defense is still young and still making useful mistakes, whereas the Buffalo Bills might be right behind the San Francisco 49ers, the second best coach defense in the NFL and the second most talented. And they've done it through a lot of injuries on themselves. So the Buffalo Bills, I think they have the edge defensively, but we know, we both know, this game is going to be won by the better quarterback. Who do you think that's going to be? Is there Are there any edges in this game? Chiefs two and a half dogs at home, total at 53 and a half. Well, the difficulty for me in, in, in trying to forecast what is going to happen in this game is trying to understand what is going on with this Bills offense and their strategy, which changed a lot last week. Prior to last week's game, this team was doing something very different than what they were in the Dayball era. And that was all these underneath dink and dunk. And I'll share some of the Josh Allen, his early down air yards in the first half of games. Week one was 2.9. Week two was 8.2. Week three was 5.2. Week four was 2.3. A lot of underneath passing on early downs in the first half of games. It was setting up a lot of third and manageable, but a lot more third downs. So they had to convert more third downs. They were easier to convert because they were closer, but the drives were taking longer. There were more plays. They moved the ball closer to the end zone. They weren't scoring as much from further out. They thus controlled more of the clock and they were having success inside of the red zone because they were setting themselves up for third and short situations and they could score on these. And oftentimes, like we saw against the Miami Dolphins, they were having to score on fourth down, but they were actually making it happen. Um, But the offense just was very different. And I wrote about that 
a little bit. I talked about it on the podcast. And then lo and behold, last week, they come out despite heavy wins. They moved from these 2.9 and 5.2 and 2.3 air yards up to 15 air yards per attempt last week on early downs in the first half of games. And it wasn't just skewed by one or two big strikes either. Uh, Josh Allen in weeks one to four combined threw only six passes over 20 yards downfield on these early downs in the first half of games. He threw six last week in the first half alone. So the same total as he did the prior month, he does in the wind against the Pittsburgh Steelers last week. He hadn't thrown a single pass 40 plus air yards down the field on early downs in the first half over the course of the entire season. And he threw two of those in the game last week. So if this is a team that now has Gabe Davis back and they say, look, we were trying to work a shorter passing offense when Gabe wasn't at 100%, and but now Gabe's back and now we're going to go down the field like we were last year. That changes the complexion of this game for me a little bit. It, it truly does. Even though you've got two of the same teams that have a lot of the same players from last year with the Tyreek Hill exception, obviously, if, if this is a Bills team that's going to attack like they did last year, as opposed to this revised strategy that they utilized over the first four weeks, that create that paints a different picture in my mind as to how I think this game's going to go from both the side and total perspective. The problem is I just don't know if they, that's what they've actually pivoted to and bought into is the more deeper strike attack like they used last week, or if they are going to be comfortable using the controlled passing attack from before. I guess the one thing that I would add is the fact that they practiced that controlled passing attack so much in the prior month, if they do pivot to the deeper attack, it's actually going to come in and bode well for them in the second half of this game. Because what we've seen is virtually no lead is safe against Patrick Mahomes. The, yes. the Buffalo Bills saw that last year in the in the uh, playoffs, for sure. But we also saw that last week on Monday night with the Kansas City Chiefs trailing the Raiders by a large margin, and then Mahomes comes back. So the key to beating Mahomes in the second half of games is is not to score quickly. It's simply to have a lead and don't give them the ball back. Like the, the, the one way you can ensure that you're going to win a game in the second half against Mahomes is if you have a lead, don't give him the ball back. And, and naturally you want to keep scoring points, but doing it in a more controlled manner to bleed the clock further will really play well into the Bills' favor if they're able to do that. I, and I think you're, you're right in that. And I remember we, we went over that article that you wrote about just how efficient the offense has been, but not necessarily explosive through the first three or four weeks. And, you know, them turning it on against Pittsburgh Steelers. Gabe Davis had a 98-yard tar touchdown reception in the first quarter. There was another deep touchdown that was put on the money against Mika Fitzpatrick, where Gabe Davis was like double covered, but just blew by them. And I know he was playing hurt the last few weeks. He looked healthy in this one. And I think he gives them legit, legit downfield speed to where even against like, you know, um, you know, double coverages, he's able to like burn through some of these guys. And I think, I don't know if it's a switch that they turn on, but it's one that they, is, in my opinion, it's always on when the plays present themselves, right? I think it's always on for Josh Allen to do that when Gabe Davis is healthy and he's beaten guys like he was against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that Megan Fitzpatrick play, Fitzpatrick had great coverage, nearly intercepted the ball, but he just manhandled him in the end zone to steal that ball away. And like, I think that, this Bills defense is so, or Bills offense is so multiple in that Josh Allen can play the dink and dunk game and beat up on bad teams every single week. And if you give him an inch, Minka Fitzpatrick maybe gave him an inch. 
He's going to hit you down the football field for big, monstrous gains to guys like Gabe Davis, Stephon Diggs, etc. So that is scary. I think he's the scariest player in the NFL. He is an alien. Mahomes is right there with him, though. And Mahomes has, I think, overcome a lot more. I think Andy Reid and Mahomes, when they're firing on all cylinders, and when Andy Reid is, you know, I think a, a common expression on Twitter is calling the good plays. When Andy Reid's calling the good plays and he's he's getting, he's, you know, throwing on early downs and 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 getting open, you know, uh, creating open throws for Patrick Holmes, this Chiefs offense can beat anybody. It doesn't matter if you have 14 points on them, 17 points on them. I think the Raiders led by 17 points at one point in that game, and they still come back. And they still did it by throwing to one player in the end zone. Travis Kelsey with four touchdowns in that game, which was insane. Like, I think that Patrick Holmes can take every punch Josh Allen gives him if you continue to give him the football. The, 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 the issue or where the edge is, and I know I have the Chiefs at plus three, but I don't know how much value is left at plus two and a half, is this defense, right? And these defenses, I think it's night and day. Like, the Buffalo Bills are going to give Pat Mahomes more problems than probably any other defense he's faced this year. Like by, by a mile. Like, this is the best defense he's faced. Whereas for the Kansas City Chiefs, they're still young enough on that side of the ball, even with Steven Spagnuolo, who I think is one of the best defense coordinators in the NFL, to really slow down what is a very multiple Josh Allen-led Buffalo Bills offense. I thought there was value at plus three, especially at home. I think Arrowhead Stadium really showed out against the Las Vegas Raiders. They were rocking against that Raiders football team late in that game. But man, the defensive edge, is that enough for you to back the Bills here, and, and do you have do you have a lean either side? Yeah, I think that that, that line of of three, getting it up to three, pretty pretty wild for me. I'm looking at the off season line, and the Buffalo Bills in the summer were favored by one and a half points against the Kansas City Chiefs, um, and so it's it's just wild to hear another team coming into this stadium, especially how loud that stadium could be. It was crazy. The ref was like about to cry. Uh, yes. <laughs> they were so scared to throw their flags against the Chiefs in the second half of the game. Um, that stadium is so strong of an edge for the Kansas City Chiefs uh, that to see a team laying three points here is a very rare occurrence, but it speaks to a lot of the priors that people had on the Buffalo Bills and how strong they felt that they were heading into the season. My big question is this defense, the secondary specifically, the Bills have one of the best, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, their DBs. And, you know, where are these guys? Are, are, the, are any of these guys going to be able to play in this game? Because if not, that is a big difference maker. Like that to me is a problem uh, to have the DBs that the Bills have had. It's one thing if you're going up against, let's say, look, we, we we could, let's just call a spade a spade, okay? Who has this Buffalo Bills defense played without, like, with these secondary injuries that they're dealing with, right? Yeah. We, we already know Cooper Cup torched these guys in week one, and the Rams have no other receiving weapons other than Cooper Cup. That's been painfully evident over the course of the rest of the, the, the season to date. You go up against the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee Titans don't have wide receivers. They don't have anybody that's going to be able to threaten you. You go up against the Miami Dolphins, very good wide receiving core. Buffalo had the ball offensively for 90 plays. I mean, the Dolphins did just enough that they needed to on offense, but it's not like they had a lot of drives or a lot of plays to really showcase what they could do on that side of the ball. The Baltimore Ravens, the game was in the rain, and the Ravens have no wide receivers. We already discussed that. I mean, uh, Richard Bateman, I think he got banged up in that game, uh, and they're bereft of talent otherwise. And then you look, 
you're going up against Kenny Pickett making his first start and there's tons of wind in that game. And so what do you think the Steelers passing attack is going to look like? It's actually much more efficient against the Bills than it was prior to the se- prior in the season when Kenny when uh, Kenny Pickett was not starting and it was Trubisky, but like they didn't end up putting up the points on the scoreboard. Now you're finally going up against a team that has a good quarterback if the weather is fine that's going to be in good weather that actually has some receiving threats. Now we know it's not the same without Tyreek Hill. But this offense is very balanced and they work harder for what they're getting. They, they, they have to find different ways to get what they've gotten. And I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be different. But that's my big question mark on the Bills side. It does lean towards your Chiefs uh, bet there at plus three is how good is this secondary? They built this team to try to get past the Kansas City Chiefs, get pressure with four. We don't have to blitz because blitzing Mahomes is a death wish. Let's sit back and let's play coverage with our great secondary. And now their secondary is ravaged by injuries and they really haven't been tested against many premier QB wide receiving cores very often this season. You know, on defense, Micah Hyde still out and on the injured reserve. We haven't seen Tredavious White play yet this year. He's practicing, but still, you know, still hurt, still banged up. We still haven't seen him play. Jordan Poyer, questionable for this game right now. It's still early in the week. And then Tremaine Edmonds, the linebacker, also questionable with a leg injury. If that, you know, hearing you talk that through, it's making me feel a lot better about this Chiefs plus three bet at home in Arrowhead. Regardless, it's going to be a game to watch. Make sure you get your bets and watch that game. Turn on that game on the four o'clock slate. That's going to do it for this episode of the Ringer Gambling Show with Warren Sharp and myself. Make sure to tune in the rest of the feed on Thursdays. Me and Raheem go over Thursday Night Football. We cleaned up last week, so make sure you tune in. And we also, on that same episode, Roger Sherman joins the show to talk some college football and later in the week, House and Sharp rip through some bets. Sunday, uh, Raheem Palmer drops his top five every week, which I think has a pretty high EV so far this year. So make sure you continue to tune in to the Ringer Gambling Show. Big shout out to our producers, Mike Wargon and Steve Cerruti. Until next time, Austin Gale, Warren Sharp, the Ringer Gambling Show.